Thanks so much for being here this morning and uh, coming to Outward Church. Uh, my name is Matt Porter. I actually work here. I don't know if you know that or not, but I've been gone for a little while. Uh, I have been on uh, what we would call like a mini sabbatical um, in our network and, and through people who, are, who know better. Uh, they suggest you take a sabbatical every uh, seven years. Uh, it will be eight years on August 17th that we have been a church, and that is an awesome thing. But um, yes, yes, we can celebrate that, right? And I just want to tell you uh, just some things about what God is doing here. First of all, I was able to be gone for six weeks, and I didn't uh, mess with anything that was going on here. Like, things carried on here just fine without me. And so I'm disposable, which is difficult at the same time, but it's, but it's good, right? And so uh, what's been happening here is that the elders, um, Tim, Brian, and Ryan, and um, all of the elders really have done a fantastic job. Those three guys have uh, been immensely helpful just in teaching um, while I've been out, and I've just appreciated them. I haven't been able to listen to every sermon, but I listened to a couple and some snippets here and there, and I think they served you well. And so I'm excited about that. That's an amazing thing to have three guys that can, that can get up and, and teach the Word of God. And so can we just give them a hand, too? Uh, and yes, that should be going to Jesus as well, but we'll, we'll thank them, too. But, you know, uh, I've been so uh, excited about that. Um, I've been excited about you guys because of this, because you continued to show up. Um, and that is fantastic. I appreciate that so much. Um, I think that's very honorable of you to, to be here, even though the main guy isn't teaching. Um, I, I also want to thank you for continuing to give, that you guys gave uh, while I've been gone. And so uh, my heart has been really blessed, and I thank you for that. I really do. Thank you so much for, for, for being here and being a part of it, because... Um, it's, it's, it's hard when you leave and you feel like everything's going to fall apart. And it, it puts uh, um, more pressure on you as a leader to somehow feel incorrectly, albeit, that somehow this all depends on you. And so what's truly been happening here is that you guys have been affected by Jesus Christ, that your lives have been changed, and that you guys are following him. So I thank you for that so much. Attendance and giving are not the only measures of that, by the way, but it is certainly an indicator. I want to tell you this, why, why it was so great for me to be able to get away uh, for six weeks out of the pulpit, five weeks total. One of those weeks was a conference uh, with um, brothers uh, and, and, um, and, and their wives uh, who are also in church planting. Um, we, uh, we had a conference down in Miami um, I had the opportunity to hang out with those guys, and um, that was an incredible time, and um, I, I can't tell you all of the amazing conversations that we get to have with someone who, um, someone who knows what, what I'm, I go through on a regular basis, um, the, the stress of being a pastor. You know, when, when people are coming to you every week, and, and they're, they're basically saying, hey, would you say something that would change my life right now? Like, would you, would you do that? I mean, that's a little bit of pressure, right? And so there, there is really great health in those situations for people to be able to speak into your life and say, Matt, it is not on you to change people's lives. 
So I get the opportunity to have people speak into my life. I get to speak into their life, and it's, it's awesome. The second reason why it's awesome for us to be able to get away like that is that as a pastor, um, we have many, many people who are a part of our church, and I love doing what I'm doing. My wife loves what we are doing together. My kids even love it. They love being a part of it. They love uh, having community group at our house. They love like spending time with all of their friends that come over uh, to our house, and we get, to, we get to hang out and spend time. And I mean, there are nights when they're like, isn't anybody coming over? I mean, they love having people over. My wife and I, people kid me that I have a barbecue ministry at my house, which is true. And uh, so I, I enjoy having people over. I enjoy spending time with them. I, I absolutely love it. There is a point where you can love it too much. And you can love it to the ex- at the expense of your, of your family. And I, uh, at times, come to a point where I feel like my kids don't get their dad. They get ministry dad, who is consistently meeting with people, talking with people at all hours of the day, morning, noon, and night. And so at some point, it's just good to unplug not have any responsibilities. No one's calling me with, with issues and problems, uh, um, problems with marriages breaking up, someone passing away, you know, d- different things like that, disgruntled people, happy people. You know, I mean, it's just all kinds of things that can happen, but that can happen at any point during the day. And so I'm always working. And so what's been fantastic about this time is that I've been able to just be a dad and just be a husband. And so my wife and I, we went on a road trip. A friend of hers was adopting a child. And so we uh, drove down through the Redwoods, down through over to uh, Tucson, Arizona with our kids. And we just would drive for hours without really even saying anything. And it's not because we're angry with each other, but we just, just got to hang out together, just got to be together. And we just tried to erase all of the ministry conversations. And this is unusual for us. My wife and I love ministry, love what we're doing, and so this has been a, uh, a new experience, and it was, it was awesome. I think it was really healthy. So all that to say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for supporting us in this. Thank you so much for, for being here and, uh, and being a part of our church, especially while we've been gone, and I am very hopeful uh, for our future to see what God continues to do in and through us and around our church and in our city uh, we have a great opportunity this year to do um, immense things uh, through Jesus Christ. So let's dig into the word here. Uh, I'm going to pick up right where these guys have left off, off Mark chapter 10, if you'd turn there with me. Um, you can turn there and we'll, we'll dig in here in, in just a minute. We're going to cover the entire chapter, God willing. I have 22 minutes left, and so we'll see if that, if that happens, but... But we're going to cover this entire chapter. The reason is this. It's because Mark is communicating something through this entire passage. And what's he communicating? Well, here's kind of what I'm taking from this passage. Within our world right now, within the world throughout all ages, really, there have been preconceived notions about who God is and what he wants from me. So we come to God and we say, this is what I'm giving you, hope you like it. But God has something else to say back to us. We have preconceived notions about how God should respond to things within our life. And we say, you know, uh, if, 
if God was logical like me, then God would respond in this way, or Jesus would say these things, and so therefore, if he would do that, then that would be just fine. And so what happens is this, is that many people can look at Christianity. In fact, even people who claim to be Christians can even say, you know, Christians are going to be on the wrong side of history, or they are on the wrong side of history of this issue, whatever it is. And what I'm here to say is that we are definitely on the wrong side of history, if that's what you're talking about, because I'm at the beginning of history. I'm at the very beginning because God is the one who set all of this into motion, and he is the one who dictates what takes place within our life. So Jesus is going to come in right here, and let me just read the first part, chapter 10, verse 1. He says, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. So what Mark is saying here is he's going to say this. He's going to say, this is how Jesus taught his people. This is how Jesus began to teach. And if you were to look through the passage, if you're reading out of the ESV or, or another version, you've probably got it diced up into sections that have subheadings that are not scripture, but they tell a different story. And at the beginning of each one of these, it says, and they were bringing children, or, or and he was setting out on his journey, um, and they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So what he's saying is this, is, is Mark is saying, Jesus is going to teach them some things, and he's going to start with this, and then he's going to go on to this, and then he's going to go on to that. But the way that Jesus teaches is often contrary to what we think. Why? Because we have preconceived notions about what God should say to us. And the question of Christianity is this, is that are you here to follow Jesus or are you here to make a Jesus in your own mind? Is, it, is that what you're doing? Is that what we're doing? And I, and I would say this, oftentimes we are. But the question is this, if you're going to come to Jesus, are you going to receive what he has to say to you? Are you going to receive it or are you going to reject it? Let's just look at the claims of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ claims to be God, that's why he was killed. The claim goes even beyond that. He was resurrected from the dead. He performed miracles. He was more than just a good teacher. This is God. And so here's the question. Are you going to follow God through Jesus Christ, or are you going to make a God in your own mind? Now, here's the thing. What Jesus is going to say is going to challenge your preconceived notions of what you think he should be saying. He's not a good teacher if he doesn't do that. In fact, I was reading an article uh, by uh, Sharon Miller entitled, Why Your Teaching Isn't As Effective As You Think. And she says, among learning theorists, there is an idea that for real learning to take place, a learner must experience a thing called disequilibration. What is this? This term refers to the disorientation of the learner. When a learner hears something that challenges pre-existing knowledge or beliefs, she experiences disequilibration. This is what happens when young Christians go to college and take their first class in religion. It is what happens anytime an experience does not fit 
into your pre-existing categories. It disorients you and it can be scary, but it is in that moment uh, that, that you learn and grow. It's in that moment that you learn and grow. When all of a sudden your mind has been changed, when you think it really should be this way, but Jesus says it's that way. And G what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he has these paradoxal statements. These statements that essentially say uh, you've got to receive God like a child. Or, uh, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. It's, it's the opposite of what you might think. And so Jesus is going to bring us some paradoxes that are going to challenge the way that we believe and in so doing, possibly get us to learn something today. Now, he's going to take on three major things. He's going to take on divorce. He's going to take on our idea of children and their usefulness in our midst. And then he's also going to take on the idea of possessions. So divorce, children, and possessions. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We, we have our idea of what the marriage is. And then we have our idea of what our kids are. And then we have our idea of what our possessions should be. What's your idea of how your marriage should go? Or how long you should stay in it? Or when it's time to leave? Or when it's time to stay? What's your idea of how, how useful kids are in the midst of your life? What's your idea of how your possessions play into who you are in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is going to bring a teaching that not only kind of throws you off a little bit, it's, it's the opposite of what you may believe. See, there's even people who claim to be Christians who hold to an unbiblical view of what it means to be married and whether you should stay in your marriage. So what, let, let's, let's begin here. Chapter 10. Verse 2, and Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But, the, uh, but from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So let's just stop there for a second and let's just say this. Some of you have been divorced. I know that some of you, and I've advised you to actually get divorced because you've been in the midst of situations. Either your husband has left you or you've been in the midst of situations uh, where there's been sexual immorality. Matthew 19, 8 through 9 says this uh, similar statement, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to div divorce your wives, 
but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The scriptures give us two outs on marriage. This one and another, abandonment. If your spouse leaves you and divorces you, there's nothing you can do about that, obviously. But sexual immorality is one area, and the other one is abandonment. So that's what Jesus says in another gospel. And so we should take scripture in light of scripture and talk about that here for, for a second. But this is a very difficult teaching because what's happening is this, is that the Pharisees believed that they could just kick their wife to the curb for a lot of different reasons. Some of the schools of thought were more liberal, and some of them were more conservative, and so some of them believe that like if your wife doesn't cook well for you or if you don't find her attractive anymore, you could divorce her. And yes, I mean to say that in many cases, this is talking about a male-dominated society where men can just, you know, send their wife off. And Jesus says there is an allowance that was made because of your sinful hearts and because you decided that you were going to harden your heart and that you were just going to do whatever you wanted and it was to protect the woman, you had to give her a certificate of divorce so that she wouldn't have to be viewed as though she was a prostitute and be left destitute. She could remarry because she had the certificate. But Jesus even goes beyond that and he says, here's, uh, here's the thing, is that Marriage is not dependent on what you think or what you feel. Why is that? Because marriage didn't happen when man instituted it, because man did not institute it. It happened at the beginning of time. It happened at creation. It is a creation of God. And so God is the one who's brought us together. So we have this preconceived notion that somehow marriage is a disposable contractual arrangement. I'll be with her as long as she pleases me, or I'll be with him as long as he loves me in the way that I want him to love me. And this happens all throughout our society, Christian and non-Christian, those who are, who are religious and those who are not religious. It's because we look at marriage as though it's just this contractual agreement. But God says something else. That he made us male and female. He made us male and female. And what happened as a result is that a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. There's our first paradox. Like, what? How does that work? How does that work? How, what, I, I, don't, I don't get this, Jesus. How does that work, that, th that this is a, so, somehow two people are going to become one person? God says, yeah, that's the way that I intended it. You know what, Christian people? Some of us don't have this in our minds. And some of us have been divorced wrongly. And some of you, I mean, you've just come to the end of your rope. And your marriage has ended. And I want you to know that Jesus has immense grace for you this morning. But I also want to encourage you, those who are married, as well as those who are not married. We have many singles here. Like when you come to your marriage, you've got to know first and foremost that this is what God has set up. 
And when you come to your marriage, it's not you and her or you and him who has some kind of disposable contractual agreement with the state. But this is between the two of you who become one and God. God is the one who creates this. Now, how does this hit the disciples? Well, the disciples are amazed. Um, this is difficult for them. In fact, if I can find it here, in Matthew 19, in the same story again, out of Matthew's gospel, it says this. In fact, I'm, I'm totally lost here. Oh, I'm sorry, not, not Peter. Matthew 19, verse 10. It says, the disciple said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. These guys were so firmly implanted in this idea that I can dispose of my wife anytime I want, that they were like, I would just rather not even be married than stuck in this type of agreement, than stuck in this type of contractual agreement that I can never get out of. That's what their thinking was. And you know what? That's what our, cultural, our culture says. There's more people who are choosing not to be married today than ever. There's more people who are, who are just staying out. They're just choosing to do their own thing. They're choosing to live together. And what's taking place is this, is that you're giving yourself to someone you're essentially becoming one flesh with them without the security of that agreement. And you're hurting yourself. You're, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting the person that you're having sex with. You're hurting their future spouse. There's a lot of people who are being hurt. Jesus comes and he says, the two shall become one flesh. And a disposable contractual agreement becomes a permanent spiritual covenant. That's what Jesus brings to us here. Secondly, verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the, the, the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, I don't know why Mark decided to just put these stories back to back. But I think there's a line of thought here. I don't know if it's, okay, children obviously come from parents, and so we're talking about divorce, and so let's talk about the, the kids here, but he's making a completely different point, and the point is this, is that these children come up to Jesus, and the disciples are like, hey, hey, back away here, no, 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 but Jesus says this, these kids, these kids need to come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And what's he talking about? He's talking about their humility, their dependence, their spontaneity, how easily they enter into relationship. One of the most, I don't know if it's heartbreaking or if it's 
the, the cutest statement I've heard from some of my kids at times is if we're teasing them, say, I'm going to leave you at the store right now. I know that's a great way to tease, right? Uh, various threats that we can bring in there. I actually don't do that very often, but uh, let's just say we're, we're teasing or maybe we're, we're, we're saying, uh, mom and dad are going to, you know, wherever, and then we forget to tell them that somebody's going to be staying with them. You know, uh, one of the kids will say, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to take care of me? There is this essence inside of a child that says, somebody must take care of me. Somebody must fulfill my needs. Somebody must be there to take care of me. And so they're very trusting and they're dependent. And so what's happening is that these children are coming up and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You look at them as a bother, but you need to understand something, that these kids, these children, teach you something about the kingdom of God that you don't have. That these kids are teaching you something that's well beyond you. See, we think, I just need more knowledge, and I need more knowledge, and I need more knowledge, and I need more knowledge. I'll I'll believe in Jesus when I, you know, reduced every doubt. Or I'll trust Jesus when I have everything lined out. But Jesus says, the kingdom of God belongs to these kids. And why is it? Because they're childlike. Because they're childlike. We have a preconceived notion that says, when I know more, then I'll be able to believe. Jesus says, that only pushes you further away. Now, this isn't a vote for being a moron, not learning anything, but there's something very specific in here. A disciple is someone who doesn't just follow Jesus in general. A disciple is someone who, so a, a disciple is someone who's a Jesus follower, but they're not somebody who's just a general follower. Like, I mean, we could talk about this. We could say, hey, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I'd say I'm a disciple. But Jesus says this. No, this is what disciples look like. And he taught them. And what did he teach them? He taught them this, that when you get married, two become one flesh. And that when I'm calling you a disciple, that that discipleship doesn't just, it's not just an overarching term, but it is something that seeps in and digs in to the cracks of your life and gets down to the heart of who you are till you understand something that I belong to God and I am one with my spouse. Whether we act like it or not, I am one. We're bonded spiritually. And then secondly, what a disciple looks like is somebody who loves Jesus like a child. Like a child. Someone who's trusting, who's humble, who's dependent. Next story. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, this guy says he's good, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. 
Ever since I was a kid, I've been a good person. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Don't miss it. Jesus looks at this guy and he loves him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This guy walked away. Why? Because he had great possessions. He had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of things. He had a lot of property. And that stuff has been digging into his life, digging into his life, digging into his life. You know what he was saying? He said, you know, I, I've kept all these obvious commandments. There's one he left out. That was to covet to, to overlove things, to not just kind of love something, but to overlove it. See, possession, possessions are a great thing that God has given us. Sometimes our possessions own us rather than us owning our possessions. And that's what was wrong with this guy. And so Jesus goes on, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God and the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? These are his disciples. Like, get that. These are people who are like following Jesus. They're walking around with him. They're enjoying him. They're like, yeah, this is cool. He's healing people. We're, we're hanging out. We're doing this Jesus thing. And then they're like, holy cow. You know what they just said there? The Christian life, being a disciple, thinking I'm a, I'm, I'm a God person. I'm a person who likes Jesus. I like church. Whatever you want to call it, that type of person comes to Jesus and they hear his teaching for what it really is. And all of a sudden they realize that discipleship is not just difficult. Like being a Christian isn't just difficult. Being a Christian is impossible. Who can be saved? Like who in the world is going to be able to be saved? Like if that's the thing, like, like, you have possessed, like, this guy wasn't willing to sell everything that he had. But what's he, what's his problem? What's his problem? Tim Keller likes to say, if you don't break the first commandment, you won't break the other nine. Which is this. You shall have no other gods before me. And this guy, while he was saying, I want to follow you wherever you go. I want to be your disciple. I want to be a part of the church. I want to do church things. I want to do that. The problem was this, is that he still has another God. And God says this, I'll have you all or I'll have none. 
I'll have every bit of you or I will have none of you. I will not take part of you. I will not take a small fraction. I will have every bit of it. This guy had another God. And it was his stuff. The first story, who's their God? It's their whims, sexual desire and prowess. It's their own desires just to do away with this wife or that husband. The second one was my own intellect. We don't need these kids around here. And we, here we have possessions. What's Jesus saying? That discipleship is specific and it's radical, but it's also impossible. Who then can be saved? And he says, verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What, what did he just say? The only way for you to be a disciple is for God to be the one who makes you a disciple. So what happens? My preconceived notions come from my ability to be able to carry out what I think is, is, is able to be carried out. Like if that seems impossible, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's impossible for me to stay in this marriage because I just, I can't stand this person. She won't have sex with me. He won't tell me he loves me. Whatever it is, it's impossible. It's impossible. And Jesus says this, you're right. The Christian life is not just specific and it's not just radical, but it is impossible without God. Like you can't be a believer without God doing a work in your life first. So you can look at the Christian life and you can say, I can never live that life. And guess what? You're right. You can't do it. You can't. Look, look at what he's saying. I, we're not going to end right there, so don't get, don't get too depressed here right now. But Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. What's, what Peter is always saying things that essentially mean, hey, Jesus, check me out. I've given up everything to follow you. What do I get, Right? Jesus is walking down the beach, sees Peter, come follow me. Peter's like, all right, drops his nets. Like, that's not very much to give up, but he did, all right? He gave up, you know, whatever. <laughs> Peter gives this up. He said, what do I get out of it? You know what the problem is? Works-based acceptance. Peter still doesn't get it. Hey, I did all this stuff for you. How come I'm not getting? What, what's the love that I'm going to get? And Jesus responds, and he says this. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. I don't even know if you want any of those things, but Jesus is promising them and he's saying you're going to have a family 
and you're going to have a place to stay. What's, what's, what's he saying? He's saying there, you're going to get something here, but it may not be what you think. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. You know, do you think Jesus kind of ran past that one a little bit? With persecutions and in the life to come. All right, all right, all right. We're just going to never mind the persecutions part. What, what is this business about persecutions? Like, that does not go together. You're going to have many, many children. And you will have beaut- a beautiful wife. I was about to say wives, but we're not that, we're not that uh, wrong religion, right? Uh, you will have wife, and you will have husband, and many, many things, and persecutions. Yeah. It's just, that's just kind of, it's a, that's like a sad list, right? Like that at the end there. Man, if, if, if you came to Jesus and, and you just thought, you know what? I'm going to be, suc- I'm going to be successful because I love Jesus. I'm going to give him uh, a portion of my income. And so he's going to make everything better for me. And I'm not going to have to give up anything and Jesus says, it's just not true. The Christian life, it's specific. It's radical and it's impossible. Like, do you know what you have to give up sometimes to live in this world? Think about everything that's happening. Think about the people that are being prosecuted because of their Christian beliefs. Because they believe what the Bible actually says. Think about what's being said on a regular basis. On the news. Think about what's being said in your group of friends and and the people. Think about what's taking place. Now I want to ask you this. What did you think you got into this for? Because some of us are kind of on this, this ledge. And we're kind of going, I don't know where to go with this. If God is loving, then what what should my frame of mind be in regards to this? What should I do? I, I love Daniel 3, 16 through 18. The, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, told them they must bow down and worship this figure when the music comes on. So it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They basically just said, oh, no, you didn't, right? We're not not even going to answer you. Like They just said this to the king. Like The king's like, I I could cut you now. Like Just cut you down in a heartbeat. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Like, you can throw us in the fire, You can cut me down, you can sue me, you can take me to court, you can throw me in jail. I will not bow down and serve your gods. With persecutions, the Christian life is not just difficult, it's impossible. 
the Christian life, like you're going to be signing your death warrant or the death of your business or you'll be ostracized because of what you believe. It will happen. And the question is this, will you respond like these guys did, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up? I'm not bowing down to your God. I'm not bowing down to your God of sex. I'm not bowing down to your God of power. I'm not bowing down to anything that you set up as a false image. I serve the one true and living God. That's what the Christian life is. That's what the Christian life is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Well, I think God should be this way. I think it should go like that. Trust in the Lord and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The next verse, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Why? Because you're going to get in that moment and you're going to say, I could respond like these guys and say, I'm not going to bow down to serve your God or I could reason this away. And, and God says, be not wise in your own eyes, but respond in the way that I've called you to. That you're not just living for this world but you're living for that world. In the meantime, there may be persecutions. There's other good things though too because the brother or the wife or the land that you lose today, you get back because you join a family where we share. You have a family here. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. Are you afraid? These guys were. And where are they going? And Jesus is going to tell them. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them. What was, what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. You know what just happened there? Mark's telling us a story. And what's he telling us? He's saying, they're walking up this hill. They're going up to Jerusalem. And the disciples are there, and then there's people that are following. And Jesus has been teaching, don't divorce. Kids are valuable, and they show us how we should come to God in his kingdom. Possessions will alienate you from God. And you may have to endure persecutions. What's going on? They're afraid. There's fear. And I would just say this. Like, if you're not scared, then I don't think you've heard Jesus. Like, if you're just kind of walking in with your mouth wide open, like, uh, like, I don't think you've heard Jesus. Because Jesus' words are hard and they're difficult. 
And he's coming to us and he's, and he's saying, like, I, I don't just want part of you. I want all of you. Like, stop just giving me the part that you think. Stop being wise in your own eyes. Stand up to these things and say, I will not serve that God. And Jesus says, if you think that's hard, I'm, I am on my way to my death. I am going to be crucified. That's where I'm going. And you know what happens next? I'm going to paraphrase here. James and John come to him and say, hey, Jesus, would you do something for us? That's always a bad question to answer, right? Like, hey, promise me you'll do this. When people say that to me, I say, uh, no. Yeah, like, no, that's not happening. Uh, I can al already tell you if I, yeah. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He's, he, he decides to entertain their thought. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left. What are they saying? The whole thought of, I'm going to the cross. And they say, okay, when we get to heaven, I want to sit on your right and one of us wants to sit on your left in glory. Jesus, and Jesus realizes these guys have completely missed the point. They have completely missed it. And what have they missed? Everything. He says in verse 43, even though the world acts this way, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about what he just said. I'm going to the cross. The Christian life is difficult. Why is it difficult? Because it's impossible. And you know who else thought it was impossible? Jesus, because Jesus is sitting in the garden. He's about to go to his death, and what's he say? Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus sees the difficulty. He says, it's, it's just, it's too much. This feels impossible, but I know that all things are possible for you. Not what I will, but what thy will. It's not what I want to happen here, but it's what you want to happen here. And I just got to ask, last thing, are you coming to God saying, it's not what I will. It's not what I want in my marriage. It's not what I want in the midst of raising my kids. It's not what I want when it comes to my possessions, but it's what thy will. Who then can be saved? Only those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God in order to do the will of God and say, it's not what I want, but what you want. 
How do we do it? The same way that Jesus did. Through him. He carried out the will of God and he went to the cross through his power. And you know what that means? That every time you break that promise and every time you've screwed up, if you've been divorced here and you shouldn't have been, if you've been somebody who's been, who's just, you know, your faith is all over the place, you don't understand this, Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus, Jesus did it through the will of God. He did it for you. If your possessions have got you by the neck and they're squeezing you out and they've become your God and you're serving them and you're worshiping them, you must know this. Jesus went to the cross. Who then can be saved? Only those who come through Jesus Christ because he went to the cross for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray and ask for your power to come over your people. Lord, so many of us have come in the room today with our own preconceived notions. Every single one of us on some level or another thinks or feels or wants you to act in another way than who you really are. There's so many of us in here that have wrongly believed. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd grant us the humility that a child has. That a child that's looking to a trusted parent does when the parent tells them truth. So, Lord God, I pray that we as your children would look to you and believe what you say that we would be completely trusting, dependent, and humble toward you, looking for you to lead us and to care for us. Lord, the Christian life is only impossible when it's done in our own power, but with you, all things are possible. So Lord, this morning, we pray that that would truly be the case in our lives. It's in your name we pray, amen.